Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, you have been listening to more of The Fall as we uh, dissect their complete discography in eight-minute chunks, which is probably what Mark e. Smith would have loved. Um, still with Nick and myself, uh, Zoe Van Hess. Zoe, hello. Hi. And Joe Mitchell. Hey, Joe. Hi there. Okay, so let's crack on. We are moving into... What, are we on 95 yet, Nick? Yes, 95, yep. No, um, Cerebral Caustic. Yes, um, yeah. Tell us, what, what's going on? <laughs> well, I mean, the big surprise with this album is that this is the album where Bricks rejoined the band, which is just nuts. Um, and the, the bit in Steve Hanley's biography where he describes that is just, it's just brilliant. You know, it's basically like Mark calls him up and says, "Here, yeah, come over to my house, I've got a surprise. And they all go over <laughs> and there's Bricks sitting in his living room saying, hi, I'm joining the band again. Like, it's just insane. You know, they've just recorded a diss album about her, and she's in the band again. Um, and she claims that she'd had uh, counter-offers from Hole and the Bangles, which I take with a pinch of salt. But, you know, maybe it's true. Um, Hole, Hole and the Bangles. And the Bangles. Which actually is kind of, you know, that's Bricks, right? Hole okay. and the Bangles. And she's somewhere in the I, middle. Yeah, right that's now, true. I have this, right now, I have this, this idea in my head of... Of Susanna Hoff playing, replacing Courtney Love in Hole, and, and how you've got amazing. Bricks, right? That, brilliant. Perfect. Part Susanna Hoffs, part Courtney Love. Um, done that when I mentioned when I brought this album up um, uh, on the video call that we've got, everybody basically pulled a "Oh my god, it's this album" face. So I'm guessing it's not necessarily everybody's favourite. Is that I, fair my to least say? Favourite Fall album. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't surprise me, but I, I like it, but I didn't like it at the time when it came out. It was probably the first time where I was like, because also I think in context, I was probably also digging more and more back into the history of the fall, you know, and gradually realizing it's like, yeah, okay, this 90s fall stuff's okay, but wow, this nation's saving grace. Live at the Witch Trials. Those are amazing records. So it probably made it harder for me to accept new fall albums and they took more time, but there are some difficult tracks on this one for sure. It's a toss-up uh, between um, this and probably the next one, like User Syndrome, but I have to say... It's got the Ooh. worst fall album cover. Contender, I guess. I don't know. It's pretty. Was it right that Brick said that the um, the skull on the front was actually yeah. Mark? In the, it, Mark looked like a skull, but he was also a clown. <laughs> with a clown maybe, nose. maybe. I, there are many websites that list albums, uh, falls albums ranked. Um, has there been a fall album covers listicle probably, sitting anywhere? Because if not, that is social I media mean, gold. I mean, they they've had a lot of shit album covers. Album covers were not. <laughs> Their strong point for sure. I, said, I mean, I think you are you are missing winner. Actually, that's probably the worst. I don't know. I don't. I think some later ones that have worse album covers. But anyway, that's uh... um, my notes. My notes for this was well, basically, this album uh, because of, uh, I the, the entire full discography was new to me, and so I've been listening to everything um, chronologically as we go through the various episodes and. I listened to the last two albums and this album back to back. And by the time I got to this, I wasn't sure whether or not it was because I'd been listening to nonstop fall or because this one was a bit pants. I mean, my notes were, um, yeah, it was, um, yeah. I mean, Brix is back, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I wasn't sure whether or not it was me, but judging by everyone else's reaction. Perfect. I mean, I was starting to really like the fall despite my, 
initial reticence um, that has been well covered in various previous episodes of the podcast to the point that I thought that the repetition, repetition, repetition had brainwashed me like some form of Mancunian candidate into liking the four. But this album was a bit shit. Nah. I don't think nah. I can write it off completely, though, because... Actually, the second half gets really good again. There's so, some great tracks. I don't know. It's two two feelings, tracks like... that people struggle with, I think. There's one track I like. Don't call me darling. Don't call I me like darling. That That's the one you liked. That's the no, one no, I no, like. I'm not keen on that one. That's one I don't like. It's a. Yeah. I, I wrote down broody, menacing, jaunty. Wow. It's um. Oh, it's just. It's, it just sums up the tension, really, between uh, Marky Smith and Bricks in the band at that point. It just, and it just feels unpleasant, I think. That's why uh, I like it. If you're going to have an album fair enough. where and you then, criticize yeah. your ex, and then your ex comes back, and track two starts with your ex going, don't call me darling. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a welcome back, here's your right of reply, right? I, I normally like a drama in a record, but I don't think they were in a good place at all the fall at this point. I think they only played about 15 times that year in 1995, and that's not like the fall at all. Yeah, yeah. But I think the other track that makes it difficult for people to like is Bonkers in Phoenix. Oh, that I love that one. No, I really like that. You do? You see, I've heard people say that. I've heard really Stuart Lee it. say it's his favourite fall song. Bloody oh, that's Stuart Lee being <laughs> Stuart Lee, right? Yeah, but and the thing is, inside that song, you can hear Brick singing another song. that It's just being smothered by what Marky e. Smith is doing. And... That, again, it sums it up. He's just he's, he's brought her back into the band, and she's quite clearly sort of trying to bring in her influence again. And he's like, "No, I'm not having that." And he's just smothered it completely. It's is this? Quite, but it, but is this odd. back to the idea of Marky Smith as a really petty individual? Oh yes. Oh totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. So Think totally self sabotages on this album. Thinking about it, is this the point where there's more fall members in the band than there's ever been? Is there seven of them here? I mean, you've got Mark Bricks, Scanlon, Hanley. You've got the true two drummers because Carl's in yeah. the band, and you've still got yeah. Dave Bush. You still got Just... Dave Bush on this one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dave Bush is still in. Yeah. Yeah, three drummers, two guitarists, bassist, Marky Smith. What's the yeah. worst that can happen? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've got nothing else to say. This, for me, this album was sort of. This was the period of late 90s that things started to sound very similar to each other, and I was waiting for an album to change that. Um, I I'd enjoy, I'd surprisingly enjoyed the stuff coming up to this, and this was caustic, to say the least. Um, I mean, if it's not their worst, this is what I am. This is what I imagined The Fall sounded like when I didn't know The Fall. Yeah, no, fair enough. And Basically. The, the, the title, Cerebral Caustic, <laughs> comes from a review of Middle Class Revolt. Someone described it as cerebral and caustic. And Marky Smith took that as a title for his next album. Oh, is this like if uh, Spinal Tap has released an album called Shit Sandwich? Shit Sandwich, yeah. Maybe. Um, okay, well, we're going to move on then. Um, unless anyone's got anything else to say. Um, the, well, the Zappa actually, Zappa cover's pretty good. Go on. Sorry, the, the Zappa cover's pretty good. Oh, I'm not satisfied, yeah. Yeah, it's all right. I, I, I think most of the album's actually pretty good. It's just got some tracks that make it hard to love. It's still probably the weakest of the 90s thus far, though, right? Thus far? Yeah. Yes, if you haven't got shift work haters in the room. I'm, I like yeah, shift work. Um, okay, so we're moving on from Cerebral Caustic. That was, what, 95? What's next? Uh, the Light User Syndrome, which a, a lot of people hailed as a return to form. A lot of people really liked it. They kind of ditched a lot of the electronic sounds of the early 90s on this one. In fact, had yeah, Dave Bush has gone, so I guess that's why. But um, yeah, they were so, kind of gone. 
So 96, 96 in UK music terms was sort of almost like the cheesy Britpop. peak of Britpop, mm. uh, Euro 96, uh, football's coming home, uh, all of this sort of stuff. Lots of guitar bands, Oasis were on, were still up, were on the rise and sort of everything was sort of peaking at that point. I mean, I think we're a year away from peak Oasis blur bullshit rivalry crap and Oasis doing Nebworth, but this was the music scene. And uh, we've got uh, a band that have ditched their electronic aspect and are going back to a sort of more guitar-y driven. Is, do you think that yeah. was, again, a reflection of what was happening around, nah. despite Marky's... Honestly, I think from this point onwards, the fall don't make any effort whatsoever to fit in with what anyone else is doing. Probably the last time you heard that was when they were kind of sounding a bit like a Manchester band. But from here on in, they were doing their own thing. We have got a precog moment on this record, though, where Mark sings Powder Keg. 1996 was the year where we had the IRA bomb in Manchester. Yeah. It's one of those, like, Victoria train station massacre where Mark sings about something before it actually happens. Yeah, I think I think it's... I mean, it's bullshit, though, isn't it? I it mean, is. it's a Shonda kind <laughs> of... <laughs> he, 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 liked, he liked to play up to that. Oh, think, yeah. You know, because yeah. the, story, the story is that he was actually being... He was being phoned up by tabloids asking him about it because he, you know, it was rumoured that he'd written songs that were anticipating things that were going to happen. I think they'd almost what, Terry Waits says. What, really? What, what, like yes. he was some form of it's Nostradamus? Thing, there, are, there are people who claim Marky e. Smith is psychic. Yeah. I think Brixie Smith yeah. is among them. Um, it's nonsense. But Utter nonsense. About- and if anyone, if anyone wants to argue with, with this podcast, uh, you can have your rights to reply. You're full <laughs> of shit. When you sing about everything, you're bound to... Exactly, exactly. Uh, I like to think on the on the on the on the science versus psychic um, divide. I yeah. guess this podcast, just to be quite clear, is science. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think so. <laughs> um, but the okay. thing is, you know, if you if mm-hmm. if you're Marky e. Smith and people are sort of like treating you like you might be psychic, you're going to play up to it. I would. Um, you or, would to be honest, ever since we finished the last episode, I've just had an image in my head as a. Yeah, I was walking around the house of Marky e. Smith just watching the chase and just shouting chaser and writing a song about it. I can't even imagine him being some form of psychic Nostradamus when he just sings about what he watches on the telly. They're pretty, they're pretty tenuous connections, though. It's not like he explicitly described actual events. So the other one was like when he did the song Terry Waite says on Ben Sinister. It just and mentioned shortly afterwards. Name. Exactly. Shortly after Terry Waite was taken hostage. It's not really an episode of, you know, pre-cog. <laughs> <laughs> um, would, did, was this album well received? I think among fans it was I get the impression a lot of fans I think as I said it, it was treated as a sort of return to form uh, it was a heavier sound uh, more of a sort of guitar band kind of sound we don't have Craig Scanlon anymore that's quite a big and important thing because Craig Scanlon's been in the band since Dragnet um, and he's gone fired um, why? Was, was it, did he have a relationship with someone? The story no the story I, I heard is he he was kind of generally losing the will to live a bit. He was kind of just fed up. And I think other people noticed it. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising, really, that anyone who'd been in the fall that long might be getting a bit fed up by now. I think Um, this is the point, isn't it, where Mark's drinking got really out of hand? Yeah, I think so. Mid mid to late 90s, I think, reaching ahead around about 1998. It probably didn't help that he had his ex-wife in his band. Yeah, that's nuts. As you um, would. I, I also still can't work out why Bricks was back in. It's not. It doesn't seem to be a pure musical decision. It didn't seem to be a sort of uh, let's let's make up and be friends. It seemed to be come back so that I can break you down again. 
it's it felt like I mean I think she wanted to be back in the band. If you read her version of it, she realized that she really liked being in the fall the first time around, and she missed something about that, and she wanted to be back in. And, and the, um, the I think she quickly successful. regretted it. <laughs> the fall was successful with Bricks as well, so why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's okay. It. Um, it just it does talk back to slightly the cult aspect of I, I need to get back in despite the it's like almost like an almost and i'm not even just talking about the the female members of the band it seems to be in a, a genuinely an abusive relationship with various members of the band throughout yeah, totally, who, totally. who can't escape but mark only unplugs my guitar because he loves me sort of crap she pretty much stayed in la though didn't she she she'd fly over, she'd fly to, over. yeah to, just to record and and do the odd gig and they rarely played at this point which i mean when i first started seeing the fall in the early 2000s they were always playing. You'd see them every three months. Like some form of house band. They were everywhere. Um, Any shit all in the Northwest, they'd, they'd turn up. You know, it's great. It's a good time to be a Fall fan. But I, I do love when there are sort of bands who just, in the local area, it's impossible not to see them. Um, I mean, it was impossible for me not to see Ned's Atomic Dustbin when I was growing up, or other ones and stuff. Um, I'm sure they were playing the local, I don't know, cricket hall, sports hall, football pitch at some point. I think I saw Ocean Colour Scene support five different bands in 1990 just because they were from the Midlands. And I do love that sort of ownership of this was a local thing. Um, Zoe, where is this in your, your full canon for um, you? What's the second track on this one? It's got yeah, it's got some amazing riffage. Is it the second track, Das Vulture and Das Vulture. Oh, I love that. I love that. Oh my God. Well done, Nick. I'm well impressed. Oh, Nick is. Regular listeners will know that Nick is our go to German pronoun- pr- uh, pronunciation expert. So I come, I come is- from the Marky e. Smith School of Speaking are- German, which is I don't, but I love having a go. <laughs> yeah. Well, that um, was- German listeners, um, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I absolutely love that one. There's a couple of other tracks I like as well. But I, that harsher sound doesn't really do it for me. And I think we're in that 90s period now where I'm a bit like, hmm, I can take it or leave it. But but there's still good stuff amongst it. So you, I think I've got to work a bit harder during this period. For me, I think I think the musically it's good, but his vocals are rough on this album. Yeah, well, this yeah, is one I think, that's... I can't remember who pointed it out. Maybe it was uh, Bricks that he kind of rocked up late and didn't really seem to have many lyrics for the thing. So it was mostly the band kind of created all these tracks and Marky Smith came in at the end to do his lyrics and the stories say that it was pretty rushed. Yeah, I think one or two of the uh, tracks on here, they've got guide vocals just because he just was down the pub. Yeah, well, you've got... um, (laughs) We've got the one that's uh, sung by Carl Burns on here, haven't you? The uh, Stay Away Old White Train, which is the Johnny Paycheck song. Oh, yeah, that one. That's awful. Yeah. It is. quite bad. (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, I will say that as as somebody who has who has come into this 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 wonderful frightening weird um fall thing um seeing three people who love the fall going yeah that's shit it's quite refreshing <laughs> i didn't expect that oh there's lots more of that to come oh yeah but it gets more uneven from here on out i think um so so this was 96 we've mentioned he was sort of probably abusing alcohol and drugs a little bit more than he had in the past, um, which sort of pushes into maybe the next album, which is 97, Levitate, which is the last year for a while that we have one a year. Um, is this a spiral into darkness, Joe? 
Um, I think it's getting there, definitely. Um, the thing is, the vocals are going on Levitate, but I still love it. I think it's a great album. It's one of my favourite albums of the 90s, definitely. But, I mean, Zoe, as I said in one of my intros, you were saying that it sounds like Uncle Peter of Vic and Bob on that record, and he does at times. Did I say that? I can't even remember <laughs> saying that. <laughs> but the thing is, we've got Julian Nagel on this record, and it's a different sound... And it's, yeah, I think the drinking got to a head about 1998 and then he came back with the Marshall Suite. Obviously, there was the uh, infamous gig at New York. Uh, the band completely imploded. And, and when was that? Well, yeah, that's a little bit. Okay, I think on Levitate, it's the first record where, where Marky Smith sounds totally drunk throughout. He just sounds a, he sounds a mess. He so does. he's like he's got full McGowan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, one way you could put it. As an album, before we get to the infamous gig and before we get to the Julian Nagel uh, situation, um, as an album, um, I, I, I listened to it. I can't remember it. Sorry. Uh, full fans. <laughs> I, this was album 17, 16. I don't know. Uh, by this point, it? I was just like, yeah. I was like, yeah. 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 This, is, got the this worst, is a B-side. It's probably got the worst full covers on it. Would you agree? Like, I'm a mummy and Jungle Rock. Jungle Rock is off. Yeah. That, that's just, I think kind of, kind of predictable, but also not really, you know, not doing yeah. anything that made them seem worthwhile. And generally, you know, you can imagine Fall, the Fall could have done good stuff with both those songs, but they didn't. I have to disagree with I'm a mummy. I like I'm a mummy. It's a lot of fun. Really? Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. I really like that. It's and a then, silly tune. I mean... It is, yeah, but it's... it's, it's I like that, yeah. I'm, I scare people. I'm fine with silly. <laughs> yeah. Um, True. I come and stand at your door. That's a cover on there as well. That that's. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, the beat. Um, sorry, the um, the birds did it originally, didn't they? I think. Oh right. Uh, and then the words come from a poet. Uh, I think it's a Japanese poet because it's about Hiroshima. Okay. Wow. And that's why the prelude beforehand is called. Marky calls it Jap Kid. <laughs> God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's <laughs> a bit on the nose, don't you think? It is a bit, yeah. Um, this might be a good time. I mean, why is it that, and I think it's a musical thing, um, maybe it's because um, when you get into music, particularly if you get into music that's not in the mainstream, um, the voice, the music is something that actually gets into your bedroom. It gets into your ears. It's, something, it's a private moment. So we seem to forgive musicians for their shitty behavior unless it goes full off full on shitty more than we would forgive say i don't know film directors or whatnot i mean there's a reckoning in the cinema in the movie industry at the moment people going back and going oh so and so bullied me so and so was horrible so and so was this and rightly people are being pulled up as we recall this it's the joss whedon uh storm that's yeah. happening over over in hollywood whereas with music Unless they go full on, I don't know, for some people, full on Morrissey or, or whatever they have to do. It's a sort of, well, I had this personal moment with this person in my bedroom, so to speak. You know, this person, it's not like I watch this on the TV or watch this at the cinema. I listen to this person singing over and over again. This person maybe, this music maybe helped define me as a child. Are we more willing to forgive musicians for being a bit of a twat, bit of a cunt, bit of yeah, a dick? Definitely. Should we? That's a good question. Um, I mean, the problem. That's is... why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, because 
for example, I love Captain Beefheart as well, but everything indicates that the recording of uh, Trap Master Replica, he was a complete bully to the band. And um, I think there are lots of incidents of that in music where there's music that, you know, you would say is great. Um, I think you do need to call the musicians out for that, but you can still enjoy the records. It's a tricky one. If you follow the fall from the beginning, you've got three periods, really. And I think the first period, Mark's an excellent writer, a really, really good... And if you think about certain records like Grotesque and Hex, the lyrics on there are quite stunning. And then obviously in the 90s, he sort of drunk that out of himself, became a bit of a pisshead. Um, the records are still good. You can still appreciate them. It's still the fall. It's still brilliant. But you notice there's a bit of a decline. And it's going to happen, as with all artists that do more than 10 years, you know, they'll, they'll put out a couple of duff records. But then... I think by the time Levitate comes out, he sort of wins you round again because just because he he just he's always there, he drums them out, he, he, he puts out the record, and especially if you go and see him live, you know you just appreciate the fact that he's still doing this, that he's still Mark, that every record is a fall album. Every year, sorry, it's a fall album that comes out. But in terms of my contemporaneous fandom, I think I was drifting away a little bit from the fall at this point. Um, I was still I was still glad that they were out there doing their thing. Um, it was kind of the sort of period in my life where I was living outside of the UK, but pre-internet, so I wasn't kind of as aware what was going on. But I had friends who would send me new Fall albums on cassette, so I could I was still listening to them, but it was just kind of like, yeah, I'm glad that's there. And it wasn't until later, which we'll talk about in another episode, where there were Fall albums that were reeled me back in and made me think, oh, actually, he's still got it at some level. At this point, yeah. I didn't really feel that. I was kind of, you know, happy it was there, it, but I didn't love it these albums when- at the time. When you get into them, I think most Fall fans, if you become a Fall fan, when you first get it, you end up buying so many of the records and you're obsessive. You have to get everything. You see them live a couple of times and then you almost kind of get fed up with them. And then a couple of years later, you think, oh, bloody hell. You listen to those records you miss. You think, actually, that's great. That's really good. That's brilliant. Why did I not hear that? And I think I did that around the time of Imperial Wax Solvent. Uh, listen to it now. It's one of my favourites. I'd put it top 10. Okay, so at this moment, it's 97, moving into 98. Um, things are spiralling out of control, and they sort of culminate in the infamous gig in... Joe, where was it? Yeah, it was Brownies in New York, yeah. I think, April 1998. It was the one where I think three people punched Marky on stage. You had Tommy Crooks. And he's the person on the front cover of the album of Levitate. You had Carl Burns. Um, there was some unpleasantness. Hamley still there? Yeah, yeah. yeah just. Steve he's, Hamley was still in the band. Yep. He might have hit him as well, actually. He was an arsehole. There's actually, sorry, there is actually footage on YouTube of the fight. Um, I've heard the recording. It just looks like a really, yeah, really shambolic gig and the fight broke out on stage. It's It sounds awful and I think, you know, Marky Smith must have been in a really bad place at that time. And the band just decided they'd had enough. It and just sadly that... all the way through. If you listen to that gig, if you listen to any recordings, all he did was just talk all the way through it. And it's yeah. just basically an arsehole. Yeah, but you think like Burns and Hanley quitting, that's big. You know, Burns Burns was on live at the Witch Trial, Hanley was on Dragnet and every record since. Um, you know, and this is also the point where you see, you see, I've I've kind of laboured this point quite a bit in my introductions and the discussion so far that I think often the whole thing about the fall and lineups is over-egged because for the best part of the career there was a very solid lineup at the centre of the band. Yeah, true. However, that. from here yeah. from here on in, or at least for a period, because they do stabilise yeah. again towards the end, there is yeah, a period true, of turmoil, yeah. and this is where yeah. the kind of myth of the fall becomes kind of the truth of the fall. This and is where my three records are. 
Yeah, and the, and 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 the person who encouraged that the most was Marquis e. Smith because he kind of needed the fall to be able to continue, and he's the. It was around this time I think that he came out with the famous quote that kind of annoys me a bit about it. if it's me, me, your granny, and a monkey on bongos, it's the fall. Like I I, I bridle a bit of that. Marky Smith started and encouraged that line of thinking about the fall. He also encouraged, and uh, not necessarily uh, proactively, probably proactively, uh, an atmosphere that culminated in the band basically having, you know, fighting on a, on a stage. Yeah. Um, he has to be held responsible oh, totally. for the atmosphere that came out of this, right? Well, I mean, yeah. if you are a... No, just saying it could have been the end of the fall, really, completely. It really could. I mean... After this point, there was only two members of the fall, and that was him and Julian Nagel. Yeah. Okay, and obviously, I mean, we can't brush this under the carpet either. I mean, at the time, he was arrested in 98 for the assault of keyboardist and girlfriend uh, Julian Nagel, um, throttling and kicking. I mean, this is a man who's lashing out at everybody, right? And it's coming to a head. Definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, what's amazing is she stayed on for uh, a further two records as well after this. Well, it's the thing where we talk about the cult, cultishness and abusive relationships. The fact that she's the one who stayed in the band when the rest of the band quit. Yeah, is, that's right. She was the only one know. as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you, I, I have no idea what goes through people's heads, and maybe people love being in the fall so much, uh, or maybe they just they were under the thrall of Marky Smith, or they saw something in him that other people didn't necessarily see. Um, um, yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, he, he there there was the there was the the fall, uh, spiraling down. Everything came to a head. Um, surely this is the end of the fall. No band can come back from this. Um, and then they got they got an advert. They got stuff on an advert. I mean, they they they, they break, <laughs> right? Well, that was later, I think. It oh, was come later, on. Yeah. narrative, yeah. narrative. Well, the yeah. track the track that was used on an advert was on the next album, and and the, yeah. and the thing is, I mean, I think it's great. It's a good single. It's, it's back to good fall singles, like from the early nineties. Well, this, this, this is it, right? Is on the one hand, you've got this stuff that's happening with the fall as a band, and mm. everything would indicate that it's it's pretty much over. And I think yeah, probably yeah. most people probably thought, yeah, this is probably the end of the line. And then the Marshall Suite, it's actually well, quite a good record. Yeah, the beauty of the Marshall Suite is you, you think it's going to be shit and it's not. It's anything but. It's a great record. Oh, I just, I'm, I'm just not sold at this point. I, I, I feel like the magic is starting to wear off a bit. And it's that fine line between genius and sort of like alcoholic ranting. And so for me, personally... I don't think it's a fine line. It's, it's that... <laughs> For, so, for me, I don't my know. least favourites are probably Cerebral Caustic, uh, Light User Syndrome. But I think I want to come out swinging for those late 90s fall records, really, because not a lot of people love them. They're actually pretty good. They're not bad, particularly the Marshall Suite. I think that's the peak of the three that I've got. Um, I like the Marshall Suite. Um, I mean, after, well, okay, after Light User Levitate, whatever, um, I was seriously going, oh, my God, I've got more to listen to. Um, I think the fall's over now. Sweet Two Jesus, decades. someone someone, get rid of me, help me out of this now. And then Master Sweet, I was like, huh, okay, if I could have gone straight from before, if I could have eradicated Cerebral Caustic, Light User, and Levitate, and just that was the 90s fall, I'd have been like, brilliant. I really like this. Um, Zoe doesn't. No, Why don't sorry. you? Because of the magic's gone or musically, or is it just fall fatigue? 
I think what it is, is just not my thing. And it's sort of a similar thing on the next record that it isn't something I would normally listen to. But what I will say about the next record, even though it's something I wouldn't normally listen to, I like it. Whereas this one, it isn't something I'd normally listen to and I don't like it. That's as simple as I can put it. It's just it's just a bit heavy. And I'm, I'm not really into that kind of heavy rock thing at all. As much as I can see the criticism for Levitate, for Mark sounding pissed and out of it and everything. I think on the next two, I think on the Marshall Suite and the Unutterable, I think he's got something to prove. He's lost his band. Um, he wants to come out swinging. He sounds more with it and focused. Um, touch sensitive, strong single. I think the first four on the Marshall Suite, you've got Old in Money. That's really good. I think that's my favourite cover by the fall. Shake Off's really good. Um, there's a lot of strong ones on there. Young Nev's anecdotes, that's really good. Um, and the unutterable, that, where that's really interesting is there's no covers. It's just the fall. So you can tell that he's wanting to come back, mm-hmm. and I think he does. I think he kind of succeeds. And then that gets you onto the point where you've got something like Country at the Click, sorry, Country on the Click, Fall Heads Roll, Imperial Wax. They're really solid albums. I'm going to jump in at this point because you've just you've just flown through into into midway through the next episode. Um, <laughs> but I am going to go. You've moved you moved on to the unutterable, and uh, um, this is my favorite Fall album. Wow. Wow. Really, really, I never would have predicted it. But I love this it, is yeah. the only one that while I've been listening to everything, that the second it finished, I put it on again immediately. Amazing, um, amazing. I I think. Okay, we started whoa, the last episode with me talking about how the early nineties was baggy and wazzy as fuck. You know, this is this is an industrial album. It's a it's a there were industrial guitars. It's a sound I liked mid nineties and sort of thought I'd moved away from. And I was listening to this and I was like, this is great. Um, as an aside, today is Sunday. Yes, two days ago, uh, Scott Donald, who was on the previous episode, came around my house and I was listening to this for the third time. And he walked in, he went. Oh, what's this? This is good. I was like, it is, isn't it? Um, this album, loved it, start to finish. Brilliant. This was totally... Wait, 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 wait. Start to finish. Even pumpkin soup and mashed potato. That's not bad. That's not bad. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's probably my least favourite full song. It's worse. It's worse. At least he had a go at doing something different. That's the thing you yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. You always write off Marky e. Smith uh, thinking he's, he's, you know, one thing or the other, but, like, he'll always surprise you. In doing something like that, so he'll do like a jazz lounge song. Yeah, I don't want to hear him do jazz lounge songs. I really don't. I don't, I, I don't mind jazz lounge songs, but not by Marquis e. Smith. No thanks. <laughs> um, who was in the who 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 was in the band at the moment? Because who who was playing those sweet guitar riffs that I fell in love with? Uh, Neville Wilding was the guitarist mm. at that point. Young Nev, that's right. I think he had sort of like a relationship with Mark E. Smith where he was a lot younger, so Mark took him under his wing, sort of as like a father figure. That's not a that's not a father figure. You were. No. Oh, it's okay. I'm being <laughs> I'm being helped out by Mark E. Smith. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, we did that with like his last band, didn't he? Really, they were all a lot younger, and the Americans as well. Well, I think he always had that kind of. Um... It's kind of weird to call it paternalistic, but I think it was partly the kind of old before his time thing as well. But, you know, like letting, like encouraging Paul Hanley to leave the band to do his A-levels and things like that. I think, I think he liked the idea of himself as a paternalistic figure. I don't think he was a paternalistic figure, but yeah. I think he becomes a paternalistic figure after um, year 2000 anyway. Mm. I think he likes being, (laughs) 
the 50-year-old yeah. man. I think he always wanted to be that age. No, no, that's it. But the thing is, like, when I got into the fall in 92, I thought of him as ancient. And in reality, he was probably in his early 30s. And I guess it's just one of those things because I was like, I was about 18 and early 30s is ancient when you're 18. But, you know, he always had a kind of old man's persona and probably had it when he when he was 18, you know. And it, but didn't he like, he also used to like hanging out with like old boozers, didn't he? So that those were his people. Yeah. So it's not surprising that he kind of manifested as one himself. I remember when I went to see The Fall once and uh, Mark was there, obviously with his mother. And if you ever see his mother, it, it had to be Mark's mum. Just because she looked, she, she had the same face, but she sort of had the hair of Phyllis Pierce from Coronation Street. You know, and, and he went and sat down and there was like a group of pensioners. He looked in his element. That was in Bolton, I think, 2007. It just seemed happy. Yeah. Um, so, so... Okay, at the end of this period, we're in two thousand. Um, they've gone. He's gone. He's fallen down hard. Um, spiraled a bit. Uh, has he packed in this the the, the drink and the drugs at this point? Or it is it, it less? No, is no, it... not at all. No, I think he's. Curved I don't it. think he ever packed it in. <laughs> no. Would you say he's being considered? There, because there's a point. Probably we'll we'll address it in the next episode uh, that he does get. <laughs> a national treasure status somehow. You know, he gets he gets on Match of the Day or Match of the Day or whatever it was to read the football results and you know, he becomes this sort of alternative national treasure. Was he being accepted yet, or was this a sort of period in the wilderness? Um he did get the Enemy Godlike Genius Award around this time. Yeah, what year was that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that was about nineteen ninety eight, nineteen ninety nine. Right. So he's getting so that's a time when he was really on the rocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet that's so all I think he this needed. This is the turning point. Um, like I say, like in the mid to late nineties, that's the kind of nadir, really. And then he's, he's, this is the point where he's turning around to national treasure status. Yeah, but I mean, for a long time, he'd been the, the the alternative music press loved him because he was always good value for money for quotes and things. Um, that had been that was probably the case already when I first got into them in about in the early nineties. He's definitely quotable, but then is there the point? Had he got to the point where he'd become a cartoon caricature of himself and playing up to that? Well, that's something I guess we'll talk about more later on because I always felt that there was the, always the danger that he would become a cartoon character of himself, but somehow he always seemed to elude that a bit as well and do his own thing. Um, I think later on it's harder to make that case. Okay, well. That's probably a good time to wrap it up. Um, we have had some excellent uh, introductions to albums in the last episode uh, from Zuri and in this episode from Joe. Um, we have gone through the 90s. The Fall are still a thing. Just. Wait, Marky e. Smith is still The Fall. And who knows what we're going to have next. Um, I've surprised everybody by telling them that The, the Unnatural Ball was my favorite Fall album. And... I'm sticking by it, but then I only started listening. To, I hadn't listened to a single Fall album until the other week, so you know this mm. is where I'm going. Um, and for those of you who are coming back for the next episode, which is all of you, um, just to give you a heads up, we're recording that in four hours, and I've got three Fall albums to listen to, so that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> can, I, can I just ask um, a question? Um, just because I'm curious, Nick, what is your favourite Fall album? Okay, well we talked about it a bit in uh, I think episode two, probably of this but um i usually say this nation's saving grace but i think i just say it because i need i feel the need to have a favorite fall album to be able to answer that question but the truth is it's generally the one i'm currently listening to yeah and, and so how about you so what's your favorite fall fall and period and fall 
What's your favourite fall? I love the early fall stuff. I really like it. But if I have to pick an album, I I go Extricate because it was my first one. So, you know, it's always your first, isn't it? That's good. Well, we started. We we started last pod on your on your favorite. We're ending this pod on my favorite. Joe, what's your grotesque after the gram? Yeah, I do love that early sound. That's that's stuff that excites me most in a way when I'm listening to it. The really really early fall. Lyrically, it's Mark's best. It's astonishingly good. That's where like every song could be like a little mini paperback. You've got New Face in Hell an impression of Jay Temperance. It's like little sci-fi stories. He's on fire. And you've lost that by the late 90s, haven't you? That's definitely something I'll talk about more in future episodes. But the thing I like most about Marky Smith does fade quite a lot. Okay, well... Is Marky is Marky Smith going to come back? What, no, I can't be bothered to do a voice like that. Um, it's been an amazing episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's been an amazing episode. Zoe, thank you very much for your time, and we will see you on the pod very soon. Thank you for having me. Joe, been great to have you on. Hopefully we'll get you back. Thanks for having me. Nick. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Right, bye. I love a listener who sticks around for the footnotes. Well, here they are. Thank you to our guests on today's show, Zoe Von Hess and Joe Mitchell. We've enjoyed your work guiding us through the tempestuous sounds of the fall in the 1990s, and we're sorry to have to say goodbye in order to make way for our guests for parts five and six. Ewan will still be here, though, and I just want to thank him for persisting with the show, even though he's probably forgetting what it's like to listen to other bands by now but he'll soon understand that the fall of the band next to which all others are judged, right? Thanks also to Jonathan Fisher for his bloody Space Invader machines. Links to his work and the creators of other incidental music used in the show can be found in our notes. Four down and two to go. See you on the next one. I'm Nick Hilditch, and one day you'll find out that you lost a good man.